0: And justice for all human rights are women's rights change the world <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, and I'm posting today's episode a day earlier than normal because Time Magazine named Ebola Fighters the Person of the Year in 2014. And as it happens, I spoke to one of those Ebola fighters, Dr. Joy Mukherjee of Partners in Health, just yesterday. I caught up with Dr. Mukherjee literally as she was on her way to the airport to Sierra Leone. So when I asked for this interview, I wanted to get a sense of why Sierra Leone seems to be lagging behind Liberia and Guinea in terms of Ebola response. Like right now, the trends are are pretty positive in Liberia and in Guinea, but not so much in Sierra Leone. And I kind of wanted to get a sense of like what is the difference? Like why is Sierra Leone not doing as well compared to Liberia? Um, that's where I set out the conversation. That's not where we ended up. And I think the conversation takes a very interesting turn along the way. And one thing that I am so thankful for, so appreciative of, is how Dr. Mukherjee invoked the language of human rights to talk about a public health issue. It's not something I'm terribly accustomed to, uh, but I find that language to be rather compelling in these conversations. So I I won't spoil it. It was a really interesting conversation. Uh, Again, I caught her on the way to the airport on her cell phone. So the audio quality is less than stellar, Uh, but it's such an important conversation. I wanted to post it in full. So here she is, Dr. Joy Mukherjee of Partners in Health. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Why is it that Sierra Leone seems to be having a harder time getting uh, Ebola under control as compared to Liberia or Guinea? I mean, the trend lines seem to be positive in Liberia and Guinea, but not so much mm-hmm. so in Sierra Leone. What's wh- Why Sierra Leone?
0: We're investigating that, not Really sure. I mean, all of these three countries have have very weak health systems. Certainly, there is a temporal nature. The first place it was really recognized was Guinea, and later, uh, I think Liberia was second, and then Sierra Leone. But we're not sure. I mean, we're really going to try to figure out figure out. You know, if if this is real um, in terms of the epidemic uh, decreasing, which it looks to be in Liberia, is, Guinea is not clear. I think there's a lot less known about Guinea. Um, but if this is, you know, pans out, you know, it's important for us to understand, um, you know, what, what happened differently. You- but I haven't looked at the data enough to understand the number of beds. You know, I mean, there is... There is a kind of a number at which, with any epidemic, the number, you know, that if, if you can isolate enough people and get people out of sort of circulation, you can start to bend the arc of the epidemic. Um, and that would be related to the number of beds and the number of people doing case finding and different things like that. Um, that was the point of the quarantines. I think they were mostly ineffective. Um, but, but I think we'll all have to learn a lot from this.
1: I guess, do you have uh, at this point any um, guesses as to why or, or any theories as to why um, it's seemingly more persistent in Sierra Leone than in the other two countries? Well,
0: yeah, I mean, that's, those were my theories that perhaps there, was, there were more beds available. There were was more money being spent on contact tracing. I mean, again, I think you, Guinea I wouldn't compare because I... I think there's a lot of more uncertainty about what's really happening there, um, but I, you know, my guesses are are the ones I was outlining that I that I think you know there, perhaps there were more treatment beds available, perhaps more money was spent on hiring people to do contact tracing, you know, perhaps there were more sort of, you know, active, but that we you know we don't know. Those are my guesses.
1: So I, I think it's obviously, um, you know, too early to say that the, um, you know, the, the epidemic, at least in Liberia, is is anywhere close to over. But, you know, the trend lines yeah. are improving. Do you have any yeah. um, ideas as to, like, what was the tipping point? Like, at what point did things uh, go know, I'm from here? Getting... You're
0: asking me questions. I'm sorry that these are not my areas. I mean, I think there's um, that. I just don't know. I, I, that's not a my expertise. Perfectly yeah, acceptable answer.
1: Um so you you're yep. a clinician, correct?
0: Yeah.
1: Um so can you tell me a, a little bit about uh your work, your partners in health's work uh in uh, the Ebola affected zones? Like what uh are are you guys yeah. doing that's particularly, you know maybe different from what other international organizations or NGOs are doing. I I
0: don't think we're doing anything different, but I think there's not enough people doing it. So, I mean, I think what we're really trying to do is treat Ebola, you know, find and treat Ebola, um, and that that, you know, is done through these centers. uh, Hopefully, Rural, close to people, not only in capital cities, so we have made a commitment to rural areas, because we know often the sort of help is concentrated in urban centers, and, you know, there are neglected rural people. Um, and treating people also involves then finding their contacts and making sure their contacts have access to good treatment um, And that's done, we think, best through paid community health workers who are actually members of the community um, who um, are trusted. So it's not, you know, something that we would, you know, bring in a lot of expats or you know, international staff to do that really should be done by community members who are trained to stay safe and also to encourage people to treatment. We're hiring a lot of survivors in Sierra Leone particularly because we think that the survivors, one, will be the best messengers for the effectiveness of treatment, and then two, we believe that um, the the survivors will, will, you know, also show that, you know, that, you know, that they can be useful members of the community, and that's an important part about stigma, uh, to reduce stigma. And then lastly, that we think, you know, paying people who've just gone through, you know, three to five weeks of not being able to work, of losing their income is, is important to kind of help the economic recovery, you know, in these micro locations in these rural areas where people are very destitute to begin with. So, you know, we think that hiring survivors to help control and, and um, you know, message on the epidemic and encourage people to treatment is probably something a little bit unique that we're doing. Um, and then the third thing we really aim to do is not only treat Ebola, but help to strengthen the health system, to provide essential drugs, to provide the adequate training for, for local staff so that, you know, that they can you know, that they can feel confident to go back to work. Because one of the big tragedies in this epidemic is that people um, are not, you know, health workers don't feel adequately protected. They're not going to their jobs. And because of that, the primary health care of these countries is collapsing. You know, many hospitals are closed. Clinics are closed. And so helping to train and support the health workers to give them the tools they need to not only protect themselves against Ebola, but to fight disease um, effectively is, is really important.
1: Um, to, to that end, can you talk a little bit about the challenges of providing uh, health care in, in rural uh, environments? I mean, it's something that I think people who are not like as familiar with global health issues don't maybe uh, get is that, you know, sometimes you have pretty decent healthcare p- delivery in systems in the capital cities, but it gets like much worse the farther from the capital city mm-hmm. you go. Um, That's how right. how um, are you sort of addressing this challenge um, with sort of Ebola uh, in particular?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I have to say that these three countries are heavily affected countries uh, that we've discussed, and actually, four of you more Have some of the weakest health systems in the world. So, even in capital cities, you would see that the healthcare delivery is exceptionally poor. So, I mean, I think you're right that usually it's worse in um, in rural areas, and it, it is undoubtedly still worse, and yet what we know is that it's really pretty bad in general. So um, so these are, you know, important things. Um, And then the other thing um, is that there are certain populations that are uniquely and terribly uh, affected. And one is, for example, uh, pregnant women. Pregnant women right now in Sierra Leone, for example, there is no place that pregnant women can be seen. Um, And why? Because... Bleeding during pregnancy is one of the symptoms of Ebola. And, of course, bleeding is also a symptom of labor. So those two things result in people not wanting to take And when women are pregnant, they are at higher risk when they're laboring and delivering. Health care workers are at higher risk because there's so much blood. So these uh, women, pregnant women, have no place to deliver in the entire country of Sierra Leone right now. Now I'm not just talking about women with Ebola. Anyone suspected, any woman who comes forward is considered an Ebola suspect if she's pregnant and bleeding, which is pretty much any woman in labor.
1: That's so I mean that's a, that's incredible. Is, I mean that this is like a country of like, right
0: and yes, and so this is. The, one of the countries in the world with the the highest maternal mortality ratio, in other words, more women die in childbirth than in any other country, One, you know, one of the, the worst in the world, okay, and then on top of that, there's not a single facility where pregnant women can be seen now. And so one of the things we are going to attempt to do is really open up some maternity areas that have... Ebola suspect wards and not, and allow pregnant women and laboring women to come to the facilities that we run, even though there is some more risk to our staff. But we feel like this is one of the neglected areas. So, our big fear as an organization that really is a health and social justice organization is much less, in fact, about Ebola than it is about all of these other complicating factors, um, like what's going to happen to the primary health systems of these countries. You know, we, we really are very concerned about that.
1: So, I mean, the point you raise brings up uh, you know, a trend I think I've been, been sort of witnessing, observing since the start of the outbreak, which is that the, the fear of Ebola in many ways is more deadly potentially than the actual I disease that's true. itself. I
0: think you're absolutely right. I think the fear of Ebola is more deadly than Ebola. And because right now, still, more people are dying in these countries of non-Ebola than Ebola, right? More people are dying. So more people are dying of malaria. More women are dying of complications. Of, right? If you add these all up in aggregate, right? More people are dying of tuberculosis. And, and the health system already poorly attended to these people is completely collapsing under the weight of Ebola. So, you know, this is really the big tragedy as we see it. So our group has sort of made a long-term commitment to these countries and said, okay, we're not just in for Ebola and out. We're in. We're going to use the lens of Ebola to strengthen the health systems and really to say, look, Ebola struck these countries because they had very weak health systems to begin with, because there was no surveillance, because there were so few few people had any adequate training or protection, you know, precautions. And so so this is our sort of, I think, special interest is to say, yes, Ebola is bad. But the fear of Ebola, the epidemic of Ebola, what's happened to the health system around Ebola is far, far worse, actually.
1: I, you know, I, I guess this leads to like an unsettling conclusion that you know, as uh, Ebola, you know, improves, a, as as rates decrease, you know, if the trends continue as they can as they are in in Liberia, for example, um, this will fade from the headlines, but the damage to the health system uh, will will yep. remain. So uh, I guess that, that, that the the problematic conclusion is that um, yeah Ebola may get better, but it had this sort of devastating effect on the health system exactly. and that the international community exactly. might not respond yeah. to do like that kind of health system strengthening. Um, that uh, is also our
0: concern, right. Yeah, and that's what we're really hoping to contribute uniquely is to look at this as a long-term issue and as an indictment for the lack of health systems in these countries. And in that way, try to strengthen the health system.
1: I guess, do you see any potential that that connection might be made and that some... You know that, that that people will take a step back and realize that the issue here was not a bullet; it was a weak health system, and that to prevent future outbreaks, we need to do what we can we to strengthen the system.
0: and other reporters and other will help us make that argument.
1: I am merely a vessel. I am <laughs> I am I am just interviewing you. No, but you. that's yeah. really
0: that is our advocacy strategy because that is the fact, and it's the fact that's killing people all over the world. That's right. That's the actual plague. Plague isn't really a bullet. Right. The plague is that people don't have a right to health care, right? The plague is that we we, ex- we sort of accept that African people are going to die at a hundredfold the rate of Europeans and Americans. We accept that. And then that's the hundredfold is the difference between maternal mortality, death and childbirth, in Sierra Leone from the United States, and nearly a hundredfold difference. And once you accept that kind of difference, that you know, that's the plague. Right? That's the plague. So we would like that this to be connected. We we would like those dots to be connected and you know, that's why I'm talking to you on the phone and that's you know, that's gonna be our advocacy strategy. This is not a bullet, that a bullet This is about a justice issue, uh, in acceptance of, you know, really almost no health care. I mean, what's happening to women now who are you know, who would be, um, you know, delivering. It's like what would happen in biblical times. I mean, if you read the book, excellent book by Anita Diamond, The Red Tent, they describe what happens when a woman in biblical times in Mesopotamia goes into labor, and it's basically everybody saying goodbye because they assume she's going to die. That's the with no medical care, you know, or just the, the local lay midwife doing you know, they're not the really midwives; just the trained helper. But we know that that doesn't get you very far. And so, you know, until we can really change this, you know, Ebola or any other plague is going to happen again. Uh,
1: well, thank you so much for your time. Safe travels, uh, and I, thank I you. appreciate you taking some some time to to speak with me. This was uh, helpful. I think folks will will appreciate okay. it.
0: Okay. All right. Well, good luck, and keep keep us posted. But like I said, we're we're counting on sort of, you know, reporters and the press and people to sort of get that message. This is really a well, there's one fraction of the problem, but it's really like a canary in the coal mine of very weak health systems and a lack of access to health care.
1: Thank you all for listening. And again, I really do appreciate the injection of human rights language into these public health conversations, which is not something I'm terribly accustomed to. So it was refreshing to hear. And a big thank you to healthcare workers around the world, particularly those in West Africa who are helping humanity in the fight against Ebola and putting their lives on the line for it. And kudos to Time Magazine for recognizing uh, their contributions. If you're new to the podcast, go to GlobalDispatchesPodcast.com to subscribe to the podcast on itunes for free pretty soon there will be a standalone app where you could subscribe to all past current and future episodes uh and check out the archives lots of great and timeless interviews with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries over at global dispatchespodcast.com. all right we'll see you next time thanks bye